Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. We've been in a series looking at the Bible's book of James, but if you knew him way back then, you might have known him as Camel Knees. That was his nickname because he spent so long on his knees praying that his knees were calloused. When I spent some time in India years ago, my host woke me really early to get to a prayer meeting. I remember yawning on the way as we drove, but feeling quite virtuous to be up so early until he told me that there'd been an earlier prayer meeting, but nobody could wake me up for that one. Anyway, we walked across a train track with some sharp stones that dug into my feet through my shoes, but Paulos just walked across them in bare feet. His feet were tougher, and when I went into the little room where all these people were praying already, I could see everybody's knees were a lot tougher than mine too. When I went to the end of the street to kneel down in memory of George Floyd, eight minutes and 46 seconds not only made me think and pray for justice, it also made me realise how little time I spend on my knees. I've seen James writes for us a series of tests to see whether our faith is real or we're deluded. Tests like temptation, not being prejudiced, controlling our tongues, tests of how we spend our time and our money, the patience test. And now today is James's final test. It's the prayer test. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call their elders and the elders ch- of the church and pray over them and anoint them with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. When do you pray? When should you pray? James starts out by saying, pray when you're suffering, when you're afflicted, when you're sad, when you're in trouble, pray then. Or when you're happy, which I hope covers a lot of life, really. The word in the original language means cheerful. When you're feeling great, pray then. Sing a psalm, praise God. The word there literally could be translated, bang, twang a chord. When you're up, you can pray. Sometimes we pray a lot more when we're in trouble than when everything's going well, don't we? I might struggle with prayers that I think are unanswered, but forget the countless blessings, all the prayers that he did answer, while I just got on with enjoying them. Some people say, I never saw a miracle. But how many prayers have been answered in your life? You don't know. You don't know because it doesn't always have to be spectacular to be supernatural. You don't know because it doesn't always have to be an instant to be a miracle. You don't know because some of the answers are still on the way. And you don't know because you didn't pray every prayer that's been answered in 
your life. I remember a time years ago, everything was going well, it seemed, in my life. Family, ministry, finances. One day I was just thanking God and, and I said, Lord, thank you. Why are you blessing me so much right now? And suddenly I had like a, a flashback to a conference that I'd been at, where after hearing a speaker, I'd gone up to the front and said, you know, yes, please, to God, just to respond to whatever it was that the preacher had said God wanted to do in my life. And that's a really good thing to do, by the way, to be open like that. Remember, James said, don't just hear the word, do something about it. And then as I prayed, I kind of remembered some guy who was hovering around me, behind me on the prayer team, and I didn't know him, total stranger, he didn't say anything to me at all, but I remember, and then I was like brought back to that moment when he just put a hand on my shoulder. But God said, I'm answering his prayer now. Who are you praying for? Who else has been praying for you? Maybe you didn't even know that you're on their prayer list. Perhaps somebody in your family or a friend or somebody here at church, but then it just so happened that you got that job or you got better or the ultimate blessing that you came to know the Lord Jesus. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to a priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw him at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, raise and go. Your faith has made you well. Whenever I read that story, I picture Jesus's face and what I see there is sadness, disappointment, because so often when I'm stuck, when I'm desperate, I cry out to God and then something happens and then I'm happy. But I don't go back. I don't kind of draw a line from the answer to the one who answered, the one who heard me, the one who helped me. I just keep on walking because I'm actually more like the nine than the one. I don't come back and say thank you. So James says, pray when you're sad. Sing praise and pray when you're happy and pray when you're sick or you know somebody else who needs healing. Pray, get other believers around, get them to pray too, get the leaders in the church involved. Pray over the sick person, it says, and anoint them with olive oil as a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence and power with you. He says, the prayer of faith will save the person. So is a, it means will bring wholeness. That's future tense. The Lord shall raise him up. Future tense again. He said, is somebody sad or happy or sick? Pray. Down, up, knock sideways. Pray. I wonder, is your life situation summed up in that? In fact, and this is really important, the tense that James uses here means we should keep on praying. Spend more time on your knees. Is there anything that you're sad or sorrowful about? Keep on praying. Everything going great? Keep on praying. Put the worship on. Feeling sick? Know anybody else who is? Keep on praying. Spend more time on your knees. When the going gets tough, Toughen up your knees, keep praying. Do you know somebody who's turned away from God? James talks here about that too. Pray they'll come back. Don't give up on them. God's not given up yet. Keep on praying. Is it you? Have you wandered from the truth? Have you got stuck in a pattern of sin? 
Come to Jesus today. Confess it to God. He knows anyway. Jesus' love, his blood shed on the cross to pay the price, covers a multitude of sins. Don't keep on sinning. He says, those sins can be forgiven. Keep on praying. So James is saying here, whatever's going on, keep prayer ongoing all the time about anything and everything. Nothing's out of bounds. Nothing's out of office hours for heaven. So our job is to pray. And God's job is to answer. And he loves to answer. He's promised so many times in the Bible that if we will pray, he will answer. Remember James wrote in chapter one, when you pray, he says, don't be double-minded. If you do so, you're gonna be unstable in all of your ways. Have confidence, expect a miracle. And now he says, why? He says, because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Literally, that could read, righteous prayer works powerfully. Do you think your prayers are powerful? Do you really believe that? Do we believe that? I know some of us, when we read this, there's a little voice inside that says, if we're honest, no, because I have been praying for that person who wandered away from the truth to come back. I've been praying for them for so long and there's no sign of it happening. There's no sign that they're coming back like James says they will. Or others, you want to believe that your prayer works powerfully. You do. You wouldn't still be listening if not, but at the same time, doubt is biting away at your ankles. You're saying, but I prayed in faith. I even got the elders round. They got the oil out and they prayed, but she just got worse. He died. She died. That's sometimes, not always, but sometimes, been our reality, our experience in the last few years. Over the years, I've seen some miraculous yeses from God in answer to prayer, and everybody loves a yes. But if you have that heavy heart, if when you read those words from James that seemed so certain, something inside of shook, I know exactly what you mean, because I've been at so many of the bedsides of the people that we've been praying for. It's been me doing the anointing and the burying. After lots of us were praying so hard that we ran out of prayers. And we cried so hard that we ran out of tears. The anointed so much, we kind of ran out of oil. But James says here, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. So, did I not pray in faith? Was that the problem? Or if it's true that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, like it says here, well, were our prayers weak and ineffective because we weren't righteous? Maybe we need some new elders or fresh oil because these ones aren't working. Did we fail the prayer test? Well, again, we can see here that the promises actually were in the future tense. And there's comfort there for me because I do believe that now the Lord has made those people well, better than they ever were. Because I believe he has raised them up by his power and now they are in his presence, surrounded by his love and his glory. But that doesn't mean I'm gonna stop praying for miracles. I'm not putting the oil away. I'm not putting all the healing off until we get to heaven because Jesus himself said we should pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So listen, if you ever hear that I'm really sick, pray I get better right away. Get the oil out, okay? Listen, I'll do the same for you too. What if though, the prayer test, is not whether or not I get the answer that I wanted. 
What if the prayer test is to keep on praying anyway? Whether I'm sad or not, will I keep on praying? Whether I'm happy or not, will I keep on praying? When somebody else is sick, will I keep on praying? So my knees get hard, but my heart stays soft, rather than let the opposite happen, where my heart gets hard towards God. So I get up off my knees and walk away. Because all the way through James, this word has come up so many times in different ways, through every test, every trial, every temptation, it's the word is persevere. When you're under pressure, persevere. There's so many books on prayer. Powerful prayer. Prayer that God answers. How to pray. Ten secrets of effective prayer. Prayer that changes the world. Praying longer, bigger, stronger, mightier. I know because I've read so many of those books. I even wrote one a few years back, but I didn't think it was good enough. Mainly because my prayer life never seems good enough. Maybe I should finish the book. Uh, and call it How to Not Pray Very Well. Hmm. But what if the prayer test is not power, but it's persevere? Maybe I could write a short book on that if, if I didn't give up, if I persevered, called How to Keep On Not Praying Very Well. There's a best-selling title for sure. A book about not giving up on prayer just yet, not giving up on God just now. I bet some of you could contribute a story or a chapter to the book too. A book about just spending maybe another minute or so down there on my knees. Pray one more prayer. Not telling God what to do, but saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. But my heart hurts and, and now my knees are a bit sore too, but I'm staying here. I'm going to keep on praying. What if the prayer test is just praying? C.S. Lewis, in one of his books called Letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer, wrote about whether or not we should just give up on asking prayer. Should we just stick with adoration, as some were saying? He disagreed. He said that the clearest ask or petitionary prayer in the Bible is the one which the Lord Jesus himself uttered as he sweated blood and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was when he asked that he would not have to drink the dregs of the cup of wrath against our sins as he died for those sins for us on the cross. Lewis says he asked but did not get what he asked for. But he asked with a reservation. He said, nevertheless, not my will but thine. Lewis said this makes an enormous difference. All the way through James, we've heard echoes of his older brother's teaching, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus tell us about prayer? Ask, seek, knock. Again, the tense means it's not a one-off. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, and the door will be open. Ask and keep on asking. Ask until there's an answer. And no is an answer. And wait is an answer. Ask believing God can do it and that he cares. Ask specifically, ask again. George Muller, who founded orphanages in Bristol and became famous for a life of miraculous provision for those children said, the great fault of the children of God is that they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying, they do not persevere. So the test of prayer is keep on praying. Don't give up, kneel down. Sad happy or sick, keep on praying. Sometimes I don't know how to pray. Sometimes I don't know what to pray for. Anybody else? Here's what I've found. To write out some prayers helps me focus. 
I put some worship on, I start to praise God for who he is before getting into it for what I want out of it. And then something starts to happen in here. When you, when you keep on praying, have a list of people, situations that you keep on praying for. Make a note of them. Put everybody on your family on the list. I pray for my grandkids because their world is shaping up to be challenging in ways that I never had to face and they need the Lord so much. If you need to forgive somebody, because before you can pray for them, you just need to release them from something. Well, confess that to God. Don't put their name on the list or they might find the list. Who else? Who else should we keep on praying for? Well, from what James says here, I can pray for people who are suffering, people who are sad, people who are glad and happy, people who are sick and who need a miracle. I can pray for those who've wandered away from God, from the truth, who are lost and alone in this world, people who need his grace and his love to come and find them and turn them around and, and to bring them home to the Father. Write some of those names down. What, what job has God given you to do? Keep on praying for that. For the ministry, the ways that you're going to serve him or you're serving him already, keep on praying. Pray for the church as we keep moving forward into the new future. We need wisdom from above. How are we going to meet and gather in the future? What needs to change? What has to stay the same no matter what when everything else is changing? What needs to stop? What needs to start in the weeks and months ahead? All of this is the kind of discussion that we're going to be having in grow groups for the next five weeks. So you need to join that and be on our new series for grow groups with some teaching by a guy called Andy Stanley. It's amazing. Keep on praying for me, please. Pray for the staff and the elders. Pray for our mission partners around the world and here in the UK. <sighs> See, you might have been thinking, well, I don't know what to pray for. Get a list. I can give you mine. It will really help you keep on praying. C.H. Spurgeon said, we should pray when we're in a praying mood, for it would be sinful to neglect so fair an opportunity. We should pray when we're not in a praying mood because it would be dangerous to remain in so unhealthy a condition. I love that. We've not even got into what's going on in the news. So much there, but how often do we pray about that compared to how much we complain or worry about it? Keep on praying for our nation. The Bible says, first of all, we should pray for our leaders. Not so much just so that the economy gets fixed, but it says so that the good news of Jesus is not hindered. Keep on praying. Take it to the Lord in prayer all the time. At the same time, keep on listening. The Bible says, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Pray with an open Bible and an open heart. Look for a promise to receive and remind God of. Listen for a prompting or a prophetic direction he wants to remind you of. Keep on praying. Like, like Elijah, James talks about here, who we're going to start a whole new series on next week. So I'm not going to say too much about him here, except that one picture he gives from the life of that great Old Testament prophet. See, he says, Elijah, in verse 17, was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. This is the thing James wants us to know about Elijah. He was only human, just like us. But he prayed and miracles happened. What was the secret? How did he pray? Well, we'll see a lot more about that in the future, but next time we'll see 
that he stood up in the nation which had gone away from God and declared that it would not reign except at his word. That was one kind of prayer, like a prophetic declaration of what God would do. He would stop the rain. And then three and a half years later, Elijah gets down on his knees and he prays again and the rain came. How did Elijah pray? This gets translated that he prayed earnestly or fervently in most of our translation. But do you know what it actually says? Elijah, he says he prayed with prayer. That's literally it. He just repeats it. Elijah prayed, praying. Is that it? Really? The big secret? Yep. Elijah was just like you and me. He prayed, praying. He just kept on praying. So next week, we're going to start what we're calling Ivy's Summer of Miracles. And when you read about that miraculous rain that came at the end of the three years of drought, we see how it happened. In, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 43, in the message version, it says, Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bowed deeply in prayer, his face between his knees. Notice that, tough knees, praying knees. Then he said to his young servant, on your feet now, look towards the sea. He went, looked and reported back, I don't see a thing. Keep looking, said Elijah, seven times if necessary. He prayed, praying and praying, and the servant keeps going and sees nothing. It's just another lovely day, not a cloud in the sky like every other day for over 900 days. But Elijah stays on his knees. He doesn't go, he doesn't go and look himself. He prayed, praying and praying and praying and praying one more time. And sure enough, the seventh time he said, Oh yes, a cloud, but very small, no bigger than somebody's hand rising up out of the sea. Quickly then on your way, tell Ahab, saddle up and get down from the mountain before the rain stops you. See, when you pray for rain, do you take an umbrella? Because that's what faith looks like. Things happened fast. The sky grew black with wind-driven clouds and then a huge cloudburst of rain. There's something about that number seven in the Bible. It means perfection, completion for the Hebrew people. Seven days for God to create the world, then rest because it's all done. God finished what he started. After God saved Noah and his family, he put a rainbow as a sign in the sky to commemorate it. How many colours in the rainbow? Joshua had the people march for seven days with seven priests around Jericho before the walls fell down as they blew on seven trumpets. What if they stopped after three or four? They kept on marching. Elisha told Naaman the leper to wash in the Jordan River. How many times? Seven. What if he'd stopped at six? I don't know. But he kept on washing. Look in Revelation and remember from this series how often James wants us to know it's not over yet. Jesus is coming back. Be ready. And Revelation is full of sevens, 54 sevens in Revelation because God is going to answer every prayer when he brings history to completion soon. In Revelation, seven spirits of God, seven churches, seven golden lampstands. Jesus holds seven stars as he walks among them, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Every seven means this, God finishes what he started. He's not done yet, so keep praying. Whatever you're praying for, whoever you're praying for, maybe you prayed once, I know you prayed twice, oh, I prayed three times. Pray, praying, pray again, pray now. That's how you pass. The prayer test. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org/media.